Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. Uh, we're going to study beginning with this verse in Exodus, in the book of Exodus. And it's the first time that we come across this commandment that we're supposed to celebrate some sort of a chag. I'm sorry, Rabbi, just to tell you, there's oh, yeah. no chat. There's no chat. Oh, there's it's no not chat that right now, right? It was, it was no disabled. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sorry that it will have to just be one of those things where we're where um, we set it up. I promise to be very verbal about uh, if, if I ever if I ever get through my first text, we'll get there. <laughs> but we're we're trying. We're trying. We're trying. No, you, I appreciate all of you. Um, we're we'll we'll get through all of this together. Okay. The feast of unleavened bread, the Chag Hamatzot. So you have a Chag. And Chag, we have a, a, a noun describing another noun, also known as Snichut. So we have a Chag HaMatzot. It is the festival of the Matzot. We already know about Matzot. Why? Because we were, it was described that when we were leaving Egypt in the original story, that there was a, a series of flattened breads because we didn't have the time when we were leaving Egypt in order to actually have the dough rise. Therefore, we actually have these matzot. So when we're commanded to have a festival of the flattened breads, it should sound familiar in terms of a commanded uh, holiday. And uh, we are supposed to tishmore it. What do we know about the idea of shmirah, of shmor? What else are we commanded to shmor? Et shabbat. That's the most familiar one, right? Shmor uh, vezachor. At the very least, that might be familiar to you because the poet in sixteenth century Lurianic Kabbalah wrote it into our poem Lechadodi. Shamor vezachor bedibor echad. And so it might be very familiar to you as shamor as a command. We should guard Shabbat or Shomer Yisrael from. Uh, from the Psalms and also from our poetic pieces of Tachanun, God is the guardian of Israel. Okay, so a Shomer is also a guardian. You might know it from the from the universe of uh, of guarding over those who are deceased, um, because there's this idea of Shmirah, also guardianship over human beings. Okay, but we're supposed to we're supposed to guard. We're supposed to keep over guard, we are supposed to shmor, do this observance in some way. We, we translate it as observance, but we have to be careful of what that meant because shmor and also zahor and also keeping meets vote, all of these things could theoretically fall under the giant category of observance. So I want to make sure we're being really careful with that verb. And this is the only verse we're looking at. So I have the, the leisure of picking it apart. Ah, and there's also leil shimorim, as Alan points out. And what is leil shimorim? The night of watching and guarding and what were we, what was being watched and guarded right so we knew there was going to be presumably a final one of these makot of these uh plagues that was going to pass upon the people and we were looking out to see what was going to happen in goshen in the land of the where the jews were residing where the israelites were residing and so the leil shimarim refers to this idea of a nighttime when as uh, as we think of it majestically, the dogs didn't bark, right? It's this idea of an utter silence in which God passed over the homes that were marked with the blood of right of the of the sacrifice. Exactly. So, um, so let's finish reading through this verse. I, I could pick apart verses all day long. I could take the entire hour picking apart this verse. Et chag hamatzot tishmor, shivat yamim. It's unclear to me whether shivat yamim 
is belongs to the first part of this verse or the second. You'll see why in, the, in a second, okay? Et chag hamatzot tishmor. That could be a phrase. Or et chag hamatzot tishmor shivat yamim. You should guard for seven days. One thing is clear. What? what? What's the one thing that's clear, Larry? Seven days. Seven. Oh, thank you, Larry. Yes, it's very clear that it's seven days. It's not a two-day Yom Tov. Thank you very much. It's very clear here there, that we're not talking about two days of Yom Tov at the beginning and two days at the end, which is what is observed nowadays as a, what's the opposite of a leniency? A stringency. Yeah, I, I could only think of the word in Hebrew. Sorry, that happens to me lately. Um, a humra, a leniency. Unfortunately, this idea uh, has emerged in such a way that it's become more burdensome than joyful to many people. Um, fortunate, to Larry in particular, fortunately, given that 75 years ago there was a reinstatement of the notion of statehood and uh, much broad, much more broadly residency in uh, and the, the possibility of Jewish ownership of land in the land of Israel. Since then, it has been possible for people both inside the land of Israel, meaning the what is considered Eretz Yisrael biblically, and also people who live outside of it but own land inside the land of Israel, to claim this kind of biblical observance. So both the, for those who are currently living in Israel and even for those who own land in Israel or own a place in Israel even, they would say that they can observe the way that we go back to this biblical observance. Okay? We're almost done picking this apart. We observe it for seven days. Tochel matzot. So it might be seven days you're supposed to, it might be et chag hamatzot tishmor. You should guard the chag hamatzot, the holiday of matzahs. Shivat yamim tochel matzot. Seven days you should eat matzot. That we do. We don't, we have, <laughs> we get that one down, right? We had three plates of matzot here. Um, I'm sure. Uh, we could go into great detail on what matzot were for them. Hurried cakes. They were probably soft. That's for another discussion, right? They were probably not crunchy. Oh, both Larry and, Eric, and Alan want to say something about this. Yes. Yes, Alan. So Alan wants to know why it says so many places in the Torah that you should eat matzah, tochal matzot shivat yamim, that you're supposed to be tochal matzot, you're supposed to eat it. But then the halakha turns out to be for two days only that we are required to eat matzot as the, as the, um, as the kind of uh, baseline tier. That is for another shiur, but I do, <laughs> but I do have an answer for you. I do have an answer for you. And I think that it has to do with the, um, with the, onus of of uh of having to have um what it takes to actually make kosher matzot so i you would think if you're combining these two holidays this chag hamatzot and chag hapesach that perhaps one would be actually required to eat it for the seven days but we sincerely wind up with halakha across the board that only requires us for two days now we're going to talk about combining with a completely different festival in this verse so look here in the midway through the verse so this is Shivat yamim tochal matzot asher tziviticha lemoed chodesh ha'aviv ki v'chodesh ha'aviv yatsata mi mitzrayim. So this becomes, this is how I've commanded you at the time of the month of Aviv. And what is this month of Aviv? Right, Aviv we know as a springtime month. Because in the month of Aviv, Yetzatami meets Raim. What do we understand rabbinically to be the month of Aviv? We understand it to be 
Nissan. We understand for, ultimately we understand that the beginning of the month of Aviv is the beginning of the new year. But the point here is that it is calendrically remembered and we do this at the same time on the calendar as when we went out from Mitzrayim, when we went out from Egypt. Now, this commandment that's present in, uh, we're not going to talk about the context so that we can have a fun reveal at the end. But this particular command comes to tell us that we're supposed to observe Chag Hamatzot, so this feast of matzah, it tells us we're supposed to eat matzah. We're supposed to observe the holiday for seven days and that we're supposed to do it at the appointed time of the month of Aviv because that's when we went out from Egypt. Are we all on the same page about that? We get that? Fantastic. We're going to study just a little bit of Pesachim, which is the tractate of both Mishnah and then this is the Bavli, this is the Babylonian uh, Talmud the tractate that emerges from that Mishnaic conversation. I'd like to remind people when this emerges, the Mishnah is codified as an oral conversation in the year roughly 200 common era. The Talmudic conversation that we're about to read is codified as an oral conversation in about the year 600 CE. Hey, everybody on the same page? Great. So this is the 118th daf page from that Talmud. And it's a conversation that starts with Rav Sheshet quoting from one of the rabbis who is mentioned at least twice in most Haggadot. Okay, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. He's the one who miraculously, we were talking about this at our Seder table, Ella, remember we were saying his hair turned white because he's ke shivim, right? He was like 70 years old. He had this miraculous occurrence that he, he thought he wouldn't be taken seriously. So he's Elazar ben Azaria. He was appointed head. He was appointed Rosh Yeshiva, but he had this miraculous occurrence that he was made to look like he was old enough to run the Yeshiva because he was very nervous about uh, being able to be um, uh, believed and trusted as a sage in his own time. So Rav Sheshit is coming here uh, to... Um, uh, to quote Elazar ben Azaria, who himself is transmitting a statement from the Amoraim, who were much earlier sages. And he's saying the following. He says, Anybody who is disparaging, so to speak, towards the festivals, towards the Chagim, it's as though they are doing Avodah Zarah. That's a pretty intense uh, statement. Yeah. What's Avodah Zarah? Idol worship. And <laughs> Avodah Zarah probably actually means idol worship to those in the Mishnaic and Talmudic conversation. Taibel, you had a thought? No, actually a question. I yeah. wondered by context, is this only the three pilgrimage or are disparaging other holidays also up there? In this like if you disparage Yom talking Kippur. about the three Moadim. Yeah, I think you're right. So, but then you, one could, in theory, disparage Yom Kippur, which is the Shabbat of all Shabbatot, and it's not the same problem. I think in this particular case, we're just talking about the Moed holidays. I think we're talking about the, the pilgrimage festival. So you're right that there's a more expansive conversation to be had about the others, but there's a reason why they're mentioning this particular type of holiday. So he's saying all those who would who would 
dilute, disparage, who would put down the festival holidays. It's like they're idol worshiping. And he's going to bring a, an example of a juxtaposition of verses as they're given. Okay, so he's going to go back and he's going to cite this verse that I brought to you. He's going to say, go to the second verse first, batre, that the batre means like second. Okay, see the very last line in the Hebrew, it says, that's our verse that I just cited. You see the last words in the Hebrew? The festival of matzah you should keep. If you look up slightly, it says, Elohei masecha lo ta'aselach. And you shall not make Elohei Masecha. Those are uh, golden calves, right? Um, uh, you shouldn't make for yourselves molten idols. What is the proof text that he's going to? He's saying, well, verse 18 in the Torah that, uh, that we quoted here is, Et but if you back up one verse, the verse stands alone. You shall not make for yourself molten gods. And it's, it is odd. It stands out in this whole section because the, the question is why why would those two things they're answering a question that we didn't ask here in this conversation which is why would molten gods golden calves so to speak be mentioned in the same breath in the next verse over from this verse about Chag Hamatzot furthermore what does it mean to disparage the holiday for that, we're going to go to a different commentator. So let's move to the next page, and we're going to look at Shari Chuba, which is a much, much, much later commentary. And in order to get through it, we're going to mostly read the commentary in the English. So it's it's going to jump in right at the inyan uh, of of this this uh, fellow, this person who is. Um, who is okay? So it's the person who is disparaging the holidays. That he does malacha, he does work on the intermediate days of the festival and doesn't worry, spurns the punishment. Because the prohibition of work on the intermediate days of the festival is not meforash Torah. It's not explicit in the Torah. Let me stop there for a second. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What is Shari Chuba saying? That what does it mean to disparage the festivals? It means to work on Cholamoed, to do Malacha. Not to work as in like you're going to work. I want to be very clear here. They're not saying go to work. They're not saying people who go to their jobs are the worst and they're idol worshippers. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to do malacha, as in to do what is prohibited on Yom Tov, on the, the days of Cholam Oed, that is what makes you, Ki'ilu, you are doing Avodah But how would you drive to your job without doing malacha? 
Mm, this is like I want to get some I want to get some organized thoughts from people. So raise some hands and let me take some thoughts. Joey, yes. Okay, so Joey Joey asks it this way: Where would you draw the line on that? Right. So is the line that if you do anything that would be uh, otherwise prohibited on a Yom Tov, and you do it on Holomoed, that makes you into one of these folks who is a transgressor on a uh, or a disparager on a, a Holomoed or not? What what does that do? Remember, there's more of this text to study as well. We're going to get further into it, right? And you're going to read ahead if you need to. Okay. Um, so where's the line? Is that it? Or is there a differentiator? Is there a differential between Yom Tov and Holomoed and the Malacha or the other things that we might do? Okay. Who else? I'll get you in a second, Tybal. I want to see if there's anyone else we haven't heard from. Anyone else have a, a comment or a question? So certain things are very explicitly laid out as malacha. There are 39 labors and subcategories from those labors that are laid out as to what is malacha. So it does seem like it's pretty clear, you know, what the line might be for this particular commentator as to what happens during Cholmoed. Okay, yeah. Right, so if it is indeed Chol Hamoed, why aren't you free? Like, give me the reason. I understand it's not explicitly stated in the Torah, but why wouldn't we be free? You would ask, right, to do what it is that we would otherwise do on other days. It Sure, it's the festival, but it's not the days of Yom Tov that are taking place, right? Okay. okay so Sandra's saying that, that she's guessing the point of this is, is that you shouldn't forget that it's still Pesach, or if you don't mind my uh, amending to your, uh, your, your comment, saying um, that it's, it's, Chaga, it's still Chagamatzot, Right, according to if we're looking at all the different ways that this is Chag, one might forget that it's still Chagamatzot if one treats those days differently. Okay, um, okay let's read a little more in here. Tybal, let me let you either comment or ask, and then I'll go back to the um, just fast because what it seemed to me first that it says this this commentate the idea was to make only two different one differentiation it's either a Chag or it's the weekday and it's doing away with the in, doing away with the interim status. I mean, granted those days, we don't have all the extra services and all those things, but for some reason, whoever it was, didn't like two segments two three categories with a segmentation between the, the three. Right. So this, this person's very uncomfortable with this idea of having this in-between category, this Benoni category, a third segmentation of this idea of, uh, of work and what is permissible work and what is not permissible work. Furthermore, I'd like to say that even though it's not explicitly said in here, I have lots of questions about what it means for, um, for consumption of food because I would argue back at this commentator, I make no differentiation the way I consume food on day one of Pesach and on the third day of Cholomoed Pesach. There's no differentiation in the way I use my kitchen, the way I consume food, what I permit myself to eat, don't permit myself to eat. There is, however, uh, there, there are uh, customs out there like Gebrachs that actually do make differentiations. Let me, let me elucidate that in case there's anyone who isn't familiar with this idea which is that there are those out there who are so strict that they would not permit even already baked matzah, that is 
matzah itself and matzah that's ground up, like matzah meal, matzah farfel, matzah flour, to touch any sort of moisture or liquid such that even that would then bake and resemble uh, something that's leavened. But on the last day of Pesach, they dafka, they precisely, they specifically and deliberately ensure that they eat that because they want to be clear that they're that that is not explicitly prohibited. So they go about eating gabrox, eating that moistened, it's a terrible way to describe it, um, the wedded um, uh, matzot on that last day, right? Um, we're, we're saying, we made a great uh, Cards Against Mitzrayim, like a Kids Against Humanity game at home. And we were saying that soggy matzah should be a clue next year, right? Cause like who wants soggy matzah? But apparently some people want the right to soggy matzah, right? They want their matzah braai on the last day. So, Okay, so we're going to keep reading in this commentary because we're going to get a little further about into what this particular commentator has to say. Oh, Larry has something to say. It's only I have to say. Oh, Dafka, just to sprinkle it. Your father's practice was to sprinkle water and put moth, and, uh, and put salt on so it'd stick. It sounds perfect to me. It's just it's just tasty. Right. Tonight, in honor of your father, you'll have a little bit of salty matzah that requires a little sprinkle of water. OK, I like it. It reminds me of how, like, uh, in my in my husband's household, I asked him to please pass the salt the first, uh, which is a whole other thing. They don't pass salt in their household. Um, they I asked him to pass the salt for the uh, hard boiled eggs on their table, the first Seder. And he said, no, we don't actually put salt on our Seder table. We use the salt water for everything. So they use the salt water for their soup. They use the salt water for their eggs. They use the salt water for the matzah, for everything. Wow. Yeah, which is a very similar idea. Like you want to use it for, for the everything. Yeah, Marshall. Without knowing what. Right, so okay, we need to both break down a little bit Mivazet and also we need to break down Cholamoed uh, and then we'll go on with the commentary. So very quickly, uh, no Bizui. The idea of bizui or mevazet—it's the same same idea and same root. It's it's uh, almost nearly making a waste of. So it's it's so it's just disparaging or uh, or putting down in stature. Um, so I would say like we might even translate it as I guess uh, lowering in stature or something along those lines. But it is I think that's why disparaging is used and spurning is a nice way of of putting it as well. And then in terms of kol hamoed, generally speaking, the notion is that both for Sukkot and also for Pesach. The idea is that there are days that are inclusive to uh, there. Basically, they are the days that fall interim to two sets of Yom Tov. That's the understanding. That's the rabbinic understanding. So the days that fall interim to Yom Tov and there are laws and have been for hundreds and hundreds of years, all of them rabbinic, which is the point of this commentator, all of them rabbinic, which apply to those interim days. So there are laws that only apply Cholamoed Sukkot, and there are laws that only apply Cholamoed Pesach. There, there are things that are regulations that of, as to what one may do on those days that are different than what one would do on Yom Tov. Okay, so to continue in this commentary and to finish up um, our conversation, uh, we're going to go from uh, the idea of is not explicit in the Torah. And this is in the way of one who is a heretic for one thing to anger, as we have explained, such that he has no share in the world to come. So hold on tight because this that gets a little philosophical. And now I'm going to break, break down uh, that statement. And our rabbis, 
may their memory be blessed, said in Bechorot, that is the tractate in the Babylonian Talmud of Bechorot 30b, that one who comes to convert and says, behold, I accept all of the Torah except for one matter from the words of the sages, we do not accept him. And they, may their memory be blessed, said in Makot 23a, that's the uh, another tractate of Talmud, one who spurns the holidays is like one who worships idolatry. This is the uh, same statement, right? This is a quote of that same, same uh, statement of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, quoting the Amoraim. This may actually be the Amoraim there. You shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Chagamatzot, and adjacent to it is this verse about you shall not make molten gods for yourselves. And they, may their memory be blessed, explain in Chagiga 18a, you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, observe to not do work all of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we were warned with this about work on the intermediate days of the festival. And that which is written in Vayikra in the 23rd chapter, verse 39, uh, a Shabbat Shabbaton, a complete rest on the first day and a complete rest on the eighth day is because there are many types of work that are permitted on the intermediate days of the festival, as is explained in their words, may they be blessed. So what's brought here by our commentator is this idea uh, uh, that just as the rabbis taught, the sages taught, that if somebody were to come and say, I'd like to convert to Judaism, and I'm cool with everything I've been taught, there's just this one thing, right? This one food or this one holiday or this one concept or this one prayer that I cannot take upon myself. They're holding that up by comparison to this idea, the one who, who does all of Pesach, Yom Tov, and completely celebrates it, does the Seder meals, does the festivals with whole heart and sings Hallel until the wee hours of the morning and completes all of the festival celebrations just as one would hope one would do, invites their guests, opens the door for Elijah, and then Cholamoed comes and they're just right back to work as usual and go back to their regular stuff. They're making a comparison between those two teachings. I find that stretch a really big stretch. I'm not even sure that it's a particularly poetic or liturgically uh, or, or sort of um, literarily uh, great stretch to make in terms of a commentary. But what I find really interesting about it is to think about the reality that somebody would be living in that would draw them to make this kind of a chuva, this kind of a response paper. What exactly were people doing? Because I don't think that the, that the thing they were doing was going out for pancakes on day three that, that caused this response. That's not the issue. The response is going back to life as usual, which makes me think about how interesting it is that we so hyper-focus on this idea as the verse is focused in. That's why I wanted us to go deeply into the verse. The verse says you should eat matzot for seven days and you should observe a chag. So explicitly in the Torah, we're supposed to eat matzahs and we're really hyper-focused on the food. And you know what? I think centuries and centuries later, we've done a really good job of that. 
But what we haven't done in particular is made the rest of the holiday about much of anything other than food. Like if I asked you, what are you doing to celebrate the fourth day of Pesach? What are you doing to, for the second day of Chol at Pesach? What are you doing? Eating. eating more matzah, right? Like eating more matzah. Uh, are you having, you know, another Seder? Are you doing something else? Are you celebrating freedom? What happens after those days? I actually think it's a brilliant point. I don't think the point here is to disparage people to use their, you know, words. I don't think it's to be mivazet. I don't think it's to say it's so terrible that you go back to work. I don't think that's the problem here to kind of graft a little bit of the, the language. I think that the question here is, what are you doing to differentiate this, this Tuesday from any other Tuesday during the year besides eating the matzot? What is it that you're doing that's a, a positive observance of uh, of Pesach, other than refraining from what you would otherwise be doing. I would love to take uh, either comments or questions on this. I saw Larry's hand first, and then I'll come to you. Okay. Yeah, Hundred percent, totally different in Sukkot because you are eating in the Sukkah, and it is just it is completely experientially different. That's so interesting. So to this day, Larry says, since the founding of the state of Israel, it's the case that that people actually have a shorter set work day and work hours and the implications of that uh, are that one actually has a different work week during the work week and therefore malacha is actually different during um during one's work week uh, of of the intermediate days um i saw your hand yeah right so to a certain extent i agree with you like this idea is that that the prohibitions on what it is that we can't eat during the week um, and therefore, you know, bringing that matzah sandwich to work, to school, uh, making sure that we don't, you know, stop for that usual frappuccino, whatever it was, right? And maybe just that black cup of coffee, if you feel comfortable uh, doing so, even outside the house, we could talk about that. I think that's probably fine. Um, but I, I think that, um, I think that what this chuba would say is, it would probably ask each individual person, is is that enough to differentiate? Because if it is enough for you, and if it really does feel not just onerous, I don't think the point is to be onerous, but if it really does feel different, different than other days, you know, you kind of put a different mat down on your desk and you pull out your sandwich and everyone's saying, oh, how's your Passover holiday going? And it's a little bit different for you, then perhaps it really is a different kind of a work week. And perhaps you go home a little early to cook things and that kind of, maybe it really is differentiated. But if it's not so differentiated, I think that this chuva is coming to say, what, what else could you be doing that might differentiate it a little bit more? And I, I do think that it's speaking to this idea. I, love, I don't think I knew about the shortened work week. I knew, I knew about the idea that like, it was not the week to go to the biblical zoo in Israel because good luck, there are 1,400,000 whatever people you know, crawling all over because the idea is you really do make that week different and go and do tiulim, go and do trips. Um, but I think making the, making the week different is, um, is something that we sometimes miss because it is such a week geared towards the prohibitions alone. But for some people, I agree with you, those prohibitions actually make for such a different week, that might be enough. Uh, I saw Sandra's hand, yeah. Great question. So clearly, we don't do this anymore. Clearly, we don't differentiate. How do we get from there to here? There are a lot of answers to that. In some communities, they actually still are to a certain extent there. I'm going to offer one, um, one particular example of something that we do that's a little bit different and differentiated in our household that has nothing to do with uh, food 
and it is mentioned in the code. So it was preserved into the kind of 15th century codes. And it's kind of a it's kind of a silly example, but it's a fun example to give you um, a little bit of context. And then I'm going to give you an offering of something to think about to bring home either to yourself or to your family. So here's the example that has to do with how we got from there to here. It's a little bit an answer to that question. And then I'll close with a, an offering to all of you. The example is that we're told, I'm not sure if, the, if this is in Mishnah Torah, but I know for sure in Shulchan Aruch, we're told that one is supposed to refrain from doing laundry during the days of Cholam So in our family, well, hang on. Better that one should do laundry on Cholmoed than than on Yom Tov. So better that one should do laundry on Cholmoed than on Yom Tov. So good for you if you're waiting till Cholmoed. I'm saying praiseworthy. It's it's wonderful. Um, but one is is supposed to. And so there's this wonderful idea um, that uh, uh, that one should then some of the hachana, some of the preparation for the holiday isn't just buying new clothing, but it's also uh, doing laundry with the thought that I'm freeing myself. I'm sort of anticipating so I can say thanks, past Hillary, for doing all that laundry, um, other than watching maybe some undergarments during the week. Like I, I would definitely do my best so that during that week I'm freed up from a labor that I would otherwise be doing during the week. So there are labors that we can uh, that we can kind of preface our observance of, and perhaps you could think about how you could do that for yourself during Sukkot. There are certain things that you can do to kind of prep your your home for, or pre-buy, pre-do in your home, uh, in order to free yourself from that sort of a labor. That aside, since I, I was going to say that that ship has sailed, right? Like that was that was pre-Pesach anyway. I was going to say I want to actually encourage you to uh, to not leave the Seder questions aside, you know, before you go and you pack up your Haggadot, because I'm guessing that most of you probably still have Haggadot somewhere that are like lying around your house. Challenge yourself, like to stick it with a magnet to the fridge or take something tonight. Don't leave all of the amazing thoughtfulness of Seder at the Seder. Take it into the week. Don't leave all of the Pesachness of Pesach just at the Seders. I think that there's a wonderful thought there of bringing the holiday all through the days of Pesach. I want to wish for you that, you know, you, there are all sorts of ways that you can do this. If you're the kind of person who makes uh, brachot sometimes over food, do the blessing, do the after blessing thoughtfully and, um, and make those inclusions for Pesach and remind yourself that it's still Pesach. If you're the kind of person who doesn't do that so much, Take some of the questions you never got to this year in the Haggadah and, again, you know, paste them up on your refrigerator or text them to your kids who are going back to their uh, wherever it is that they're living and have a text conversation, which is something you can't necessarily do if you have certain observances on Yom Tov. Text them and have a nice back and forth. What, like, what's your fifth question this year during the week? So that's my challenge to all of us. Um, before we go, I see Chase and Sandries, and I'm going to give you a last comment or question. Yeah, I know when you were talking about um, Sukkot, I was thinking about my bar mitzvah for us because it was on Sukkot, and I thought it was interesting because this year, Thursday or Friday reading that Mark did really amazing, Yoshikoa again, um, was Parshani Moore, which is part of, um, you know, which was part of Sukkot. So I was thinking about as he was reading it, and I was kind of singing along. So it was just making me think, does it? Uh, exactly. That, and, and, and it's connected in, and is that, that's because you had a Sukkot uh, bar mitzvah, right? Holmud Sukkot bar mitzvah. Yeah, I have mine on um, Sukkot um, day one of 2021. 
Exactly. And, um, and we find ourselves, uh, that's actually a great note to lead, to um, kind of end on, which is that as we go to count the Omer tonight, it's such a wonderful thing when we think about these texts to, to get ourselves in, um, thinking about the year as a web of these uh, Chagim, even though we don't do them as pilgrimage festivals anymore, already we're counting the Omer to get ourselves into Shavuot. And then from Shavuot, we're already thinking to the next festival, to Sukkot, uh, and into these intermediate days. So may we always be looking forward to the joy of the next festival, uh, anticipating it with joy, reading something and thinking about the next time that we can host and ask questions and do wonderful things together. And I hope that the joy of Pesach is with you all through Hol HaMoed. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.